You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Genealogy is brought to you by listeners like you, our supporters on Patreon. Join us today at patreon.com slash mission log. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. We'll have more news this evening, but first, the latest Genealogy, a Roddenberry Podcast. Episode 7, The Transporter. Welcome to Mission Log Genealogy. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm Earl Green. Every week we're examining the early TV writing of Gene Roddenberry, who went on to create, well, chances are if you are listening to this, you already know what he went on to create. As always, since we're also part of the Mission Log family of podcasts, we're looking for the deeper meanings and messages Gene may have woven into even his earliest works. And so far, we haven't been disappointed. So far, we've been examining Gene's scripts for 1950s police dramas, but this show is very different. Not only is it an idea that never made it to the screen, but of all the things we have found in the Roddenberry archive, this appears to be Gene Roddenberry's earliest attempt at science fiction for TV. And Earl will make some trivia miraculously appear in a moment, but first, here's how you can reach us. Genealogy is meant to be entertaining and informative, but it's also the beginning of an ongoing conversation about the works of Gene Roddenberry. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember your comments could be used on future installments of Genealogy. And now... Here is Earl Green with this week's non-virtual trivia. We have left the present day and the world of Mr. District Attorney behind, and the transporter is probably not new to you if you've read Gene's authorized posthumous biography, Star Trek Creator. It was a pitch to another Ziv-syndicated television series, Science Fiction Theater, which does require a little bit of introduction. Science Fiction Theater was one of American TV's earliest sci-fi anthology series, produced by Ziv Television Programs, who also produced Mr. District Attorney. The only other show of its kind before it premiered was ABC's Tales of Tomorrow, which ran for two seasons beginning in 1951. And by the way, you can learn more about Tales of Tomorrow from the August 3rd, 2021 edition of Sci-Fi 5 at podcasts.ruddenberry.com. What made science fiction theater different was not just that it was syndicated, but its first season was filmed in glorious color. An example of the show's producers, with their series' futuristic stories in mind, trying to future-proof the show against the imminent arrival of color television on the consumer market. Science fiction theater premiered in April 1955, and it had quite a long life. Reruns of this show were a staple of the Sci-Fi Channel's launch schedule in early 1992, back when its entire schedule consisted of reruns. So whoever made the decision about shooting in color got to shout an I told you so across four decades into the future. Why didn't Gene keep pitching to science fiction theater every chance he got? He may have been a known quantity to the makers of Mr. District Attorney, but not necessarily to the producers of all the other Ziv shows. 
What had gotten him in the door to start writing TV scripts was his work as a technical advisor involving law enforcement procedure, and at the time he pitched the story, he was still moonlighting while on active duty with the LAPD. He had a full-time job, a family, and he had to sneak some sleep in there somewhere, and the time he had left after all of that is the time he had to generate new ideas and sellable scripts. So, do you fire off spec scripts and story pitches to shows with which you have no prior relationship? Or do you stay in your lane and follow that old piece of advice, dance with the one who brought you? At this early stage in Gene's career, sadly, science fiction scripts would be an infrequent, occasional detour from earning a living by writing more mainstream entertainment. We're going to do something different, kind of unique in the history so far of genealogy, or indeed in any of the Mission Log podcasts. Since this is a barely one-page story pitch, we're not going to summarize this. We are going to read you Gene's words, word for word, as they appeared. So Earl, if you would kindly do the honors. All right, this is a story pitch titled The Transporter. Item. Recent experiments have identified the sections of the brain which control the various sensations, sight, sound, smell, feel, etc. During surgical operations, these areas have been artificially stimulated by mild electric currents, resulting in highly realistic hallucinations. One patient sees his long-dead mother, another reached out to pick up a non-existent purring kitten. Eventually, it may be possible to stimulate the brain without surgery by means of ultra-high-frequency radiations. Properly directed and controlled, they would transport the recipient to another world, to him a very real world of color, sound, and action, all controlled by the stimulating device. The proposed story is of the invention of the transporter, a device which is television, smell-o-vision, sound-o-vision, all rolled into one, a device which creates an artificial world for the user, capable of duplicating delight, sensation, contentment, adventure, all beyond the reach of the ordinary person living the ordinary life. With it, you can voyage to far-off lands, argue with Socrates, earn and spend a million dollars, or lay Marilyn Monroe. Take your choice. And this is the story of the inventor who, after achieving this miracle, suddenly realizes that a commercial, greedy, sometimes inhuman world would take over his miracle, and it might be used as they have used the miracle of radio, television, the motion picture, with much more devastating results. It could become the most powerful totalitarian enslaving device. It could become the most powerful opiate. It could create wants and desires for which the world would destroy itself a dying race sitting at their transporters. There is a crossed-out section here. We leave the ultimate question unanswered. Will he destroy the transporter, or will someday, somewhere, the transporter appear? Sooner or later, we will have learned enough about the brain to create it. That's it, Norm. That's the document. Your mind blown yet? It's about to be blown. Actually, it's very well blown, but in the next segment... We're going to blow all of your minds. Well, I'm not sure we will. I think Gene uh, did the honors for us. Thank you, Gene. Did Gene just invent the holodeck? This was this document was dated January of 1955. 
Did he just invent the holodeck and virtual reality? Or did he invent the entire matrix here? This is a question that is probably one of the most difficult questions to answer because we're living in the time where virtual reality and social media have become so ubiquitous with our own self-worth that having an idea like the transporter in 1955, the concept of it alone must have been staggering just in a pitch as you have all heard. I don't even know like where to begin. I have notes of where to begin, but I really don't even know where to begin with those either. We'll get to those. So, yeah, our minds are blown as as much as everyone else's. This really is new territory, and I think this gives us an insight into just how ambitious a writer Gene was. Science fiction theater was an anthology with no continuing characters, and no connecting tissue other than the introductions hosted by a man named Truman Bradley. So what you've got here with the transporter, especially since it was never actually made, this is Roddenberry unbound. He is unconstrained by the boundaries of a show like Mr. District Attorney or Highway Patrol. It's incredibly telling, I think, that when he is let off the leash of an ongoing series with one or two central characters, and he is given his own world to create, here Gene goes gravitating immediately toward high-concept science fiction. Because as a concept outline with no characters, the transporter, this almost reads more like Serling than Roddenberry. With almost like the limitless potential of the idea, it's really kind of hard to like get your arms around like where this could go. Because let's take a look at Gene's timeline from say the war, World War II, and then his career as a pilot, and then, you know, the heroics of, you know, saving passengers in the downed airline in the desert, to joining the LAPD, to selling his first script in 1954, to doing six episodes of Mr. District Attorney, to this idea. Where in all of that time, and I know this is all speculation on our part, But where in all that time did something like this actually become this germ of an idea, this story pitch? Because that's changing kind of like your mental gears really quickly and on the fly since he was really buried in this whole genre of the police procedure. So where did this come from, right? That's the big question. Like, how did this happen? Or was it always there? Was this some type of like smoldering kind of kernel of an idea that was always kind of pushing uh, in his consciousness and or from his subconsciousness. Because in 1955, if you pitch this to a network, what do you think their reaction was going to be? They would probably sit there and stare at you from across the room for at least 15 minutes before saying next. Now, I have a feeling that part of the context that we are missing here and I don't even necessarily know that this is covered in Gene's biography, the printed biography, is that you have to figure that the man was reading science fiction in his downtime. And that this was an area that he already wanted to get into. Like, the cop shows are a means to an end. And so I think this comes from... The kind of, and I think we have all run into this, and we certainly in the history of 
mission log covering shows later created by Gene or shows later inspired by those created by Gene, we have all run into these really high concept ideas where, you know, we hit the hour limit of the show and we're still going, whoa. And I I think that the context that we are missing here is what was Gene reading? Because he probably mm-hmm. also hit one of those ideas that just stopped him dead in his tracks and made him say, whoa. And then he just let his mind loose on some flight of fancy and came up with this. And it's important to note that this pitch was submitted between patrol boat and police brutality. So we're we're jumping out of the time tracks for the first time in genealogy here. So when it comes to science fiction and the origin of you know of Gene's uh, love affair with writing science fiction, especially when it comes to Star Trek, and eventually we're going to get to the road leading to Star Trek, I'm wondering if he pitched this idea to Ziv and they had the same reaction to the transporter as the network's reaction to a story that's far too cerebral for the audience of the time. Because when you really think about it, what he's describing the transporter is very akin to what the Talosians were able to do to Captain Pike inside that plexiglass cell. They were able to fill his mind with the most realistic sensations that the mind could understand. Sight, sound, smell, horses, landscapes, Orion slave women, all the sights and smells and all the exotic locations and all the flavors, all of that, right? Just from the mental powers of an alien being, or in this case, from the technology that came from the transporter's ability to irradiate, you know, someone's brain to be able to feel these sensations. So again, I always have big questions. Every single question I'm going to ask is going to be the big question. Where does this come from, right? Is this something that, again, as a policeman and someone probably stuck in the doldrums of his desk job and maybe even in the same doldrums of a quote-unquote nine-to-five-ish life where he had to provide for a family, science fiction has always been traditionally a way of escapism or a type of uh, release you know, for someone's intellect or imagination, a kind of stimuli in a sense. And I'm wondering if this is a byproduct of that in some way. I think it very likely is. I think it's interesting, you know, drawing the drawing the line to the Telosians, if this is indeed the germ of the cage. Not necessarily the germ of Star Trek, but if this is the germ right. of the cage. It's kind of interesting to see how the notion of, you know, putting images, sights, sounds, smells, sensations in someone's head evolves over nine years because the cage was produced in 1964 and I believe the entire you know the Star Trek concept was solidified in 1964 coming off of the experiences that Gene had working on the lieutenant which we will cover in due time it's possible that he still had this idea rattling around in the back of his head but it's interesting that in 1955, his pitch is, whatever things happen to humanity as a result of the transporter, it is us doing it to ourselves. By 1964, here are the Talosians, someone else is doing it to us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And I am wondering if the idea of we're going to do it to ourselves was just too dark for most people to swallow. Like, no, no, things are good. We'll, we would never be that stupid. Hey, kids, get around the TV. Leave it to Beavers coming on. We, we would never be stupid. Or Mr. District Attorney. <laughs> yeah, Mr. District Attorney <laughs> is on. We'll, uh, you know, we'll never be stupid enough to mindlessly destroy ourselves with our own means of amusement. That really kind of, like, um, it prompts the, uh, the speculation of what the morals, meanings, and messages would have been in a show like this. Because with Mr. District Attorney, you know, you had Paul Garrett. And again, we've discussed him and, and described him as being kind of like this upstanding bastion of law and justice and, you know, to defend the public interest. You know, that is a tone in and of itself of the 1950s. Um, even in police brutality, I did make mention of what the police kind of like the, the reputation of them being the, the, the neighborhood uh, bastions of to protect and serve. But this here, though, it has the potential. This um, the transporter has the potential of having this incredibly huge tonal shift of, like you said, a, a Sterling esque type of story. And, and since we're in observations, this is something that I just saw in my mind's eye. I mean, think about it this way: to get into that Twilight Zone ish type of a mentality, we see this entire series develop over the course of, and I'm sure Gene would have loved this, over the course of several seasons, you know, 22, 24 episodes per season, maybe half hour long, because that was kind of like the format of the time. And we see people, characters, and morals, meanings, and messages invested into the audience's psyche, and then all of a sudden, you pull back, and it's all still part of the fabricated reality that the transporter inventor himself created that he couldn't escape. Everything has moved on from him, but he himself believes that this quote unquote matrix style, you know, of uh, an existence is something that he created. And that's the cautionary tale that you can't escape kind of like the perversion of the technology that you create. Wow. That's quite an extrapolation. And we're going to, we're going to discuss kind of this angle of it a little bit more because this was intended to be one 22-minute episode of science fiction theater. So who knows how much of this actually could have been boiled down into that space. And that kind of brings me to, you know, kind of a question I have about why the story did not sell, why he didn't get a sale with the story idea to the producers of science fiction theater. And the one thing that jumps out at me is that other than this line saying this is the story of the inventor of the transporter we know nothing about this character is he doing this for good is he doing this for ill what is his moral compass is he going to try to get out of it is he going to try to destroy it can he destroy it does he wind up trapped in it i guess the uh, the big uh, problem with creating something that's maybe a little bit too high concept is that eventually you're going to have to sell the money men of a studio. And if they're not seeing dollars and cents out of this, if they're not seeing how are we going to monetize this, how are we going to pitch this to marketing, and how are we going to increase ad revenue because of this particular work, I mean, that's that's kind of like the reality of the situation of, of TV, not just then, but now. So how do we make money off of this? Well, the good news is, you know, as far as Gene's pitch, you know, he's talking about, you know, you can voyage to far off lands. You can argue with Socrates. Okay, you've got an actor in a toga. You can earn and spend a million dollars. Okay, you've got an actor in a suit 
and some Monopoly money. Um, Marilyn Monroe, I'm just leaving that there. You can't show that in 1950s TV, Gene. Come on. But the thing about it is he is very wisely framing the fantasies that this thing could generate in terms that are producible. You know, there are no space battles in this. This is stuff that could be shot on a set. And in that way... This reminds me of a little bit of a show that did make it to air in the 70s called The Star Lost, which was Harlan Ellison's creation. And basically, you know, it's a it's a ship with a bunch of different environments aboard it. It is sealed off environments with their own societies, their own politics. They are frozen at different points in history. And you go into these domes, and these environments look like the cities that these people would build or the farms that these people would build and you don't actually you don't have to build giant domes on a soundstage you go on location that is a brilliant idea and I think Gene was in the same neighborhood here coming up with stuff that you could reasonably shoot on a budget Now we're going to briefly transport ourselves to the here and now so we can talk about how much we appreciate our Patreon supporters and those who have joined us on the Mission Log Discord, Norm. Tell us all about it. Well, one of the things I really want to thank everyone for is your patience you know, and your continued support and understanding uh, during the course of the, the standard Mission Log podcast hiatus. And thank you, everyone, for switching gears and joining us here on Genealogy to support what we're doing here with this new show that we have worked so diligently on uh, to, to pivot away from Mission Log because we can't talk about that show in particular during the strike, which is no longer the writer's strike and the SAG strike, just the SAG strike. But you can still talk about all the shows that you love to watch and to discuss at length on our Patreon Discord server, Mission Log Discord. And to do so, all you need to do is visit patreon.com slash mission log and look at which tier you would like to invest in or support us in. And then we will give you access to the Discord server and there... The sky's the limit. Much like the transporter, Earl, what can they find on our Discord server? Almost anything. I mean, you can find out more about how the sausage of this show is made, for example. You can join us in After Dark. We normally do Mission Log After Dark on Thursdays and discuss the most recent episode of Mission Log. Well, that has currently kind of pivoted into Genealogy After Dark. And... Those gatherings are sensational. This is a meeting of the minds with our listeners. They are bringing questions to us that we are then turning around and kind of asking of the show itself and of the shows that we cover. What is here is what the audience is thinking. Let's examine the shows from that angle as well as all of the angles that we were already covering here. And there are so many other things specific to so many fandoms, even era-specific topics, you name it. And we just wanted to take this time to thank everyone who's joined us on Discord and supporting us on Patreon, especially our newest members, Mark, Laura, Andy, Michael, and Jason. Your support helps us tremendously, and we are incredibly grateful 
for your generosity. So remember, please visit patreon.com slash mission log. And thank you again for your support. All right, Norm, I really feel like in this iteration of the story versus what you were, what we were talking about with the Telosians in the cage, being able to put images and sensations in people's minds, they do that in some cases benevolently. But here we're talking about the transporter, which may be the germ of that idea. And Gene is very much taking up the opium of the masses rallying cry here. The transporter is standing in for movies and television, which had a far greater share, closer to a monopoly of the public's attention span in 1954. We have more screens now, but every screen is showing something different. So what we have now is more like an exercise in applied attention deficit disorder. The big three networks now scrabble for the table scraps of the public attention span. The problem used to be 100 channels and nothing is on. Now the problem is a channel for every person on the planet with the technology to view it. Is Gene looking into our present or our future now? Or was he really looking at this from a 1955 perspective? You know, it's kind of like um, this, the embarrassment of riches axiom, right? You know, the uh, the idea of of what the transporter does, I mean, it's not necessarily revolutionary or new but it's it's being framed in a in particularly new way especially for like the audiences of the 1950s but if you look at classic literature i mean it's not really that far removed from say you know the odyssey and the lair of the lotus eaters you know where you know odysseus's crew they were essentially trapped in in kind of like a, a palace in pleasure of their own making. You know, why would you want to leave and go on this arduous journey uh, with no guarantee in sight of actually ever making it home when you can just sit in paradise completely, uh, again, under the effect of kind of like this opiate where pain has been removed. The the hardship of your life is no longer part of, of you know, existence at all. And I think that that's, that's a revolutionary idea for, again, Gene's idea in 1955 but I think what's what I'm having a hard time grappling with is trying to separate what I know now from a lot of the um, kind of like the ubiquitous science fiction themes that are very much akin to the transporter uh, movies and television shows that we've seen and ad nauseum in, in pretty much you know since like I don't know the boom of science fiction from like the 1970s until now I mean it's it's something that would have been revolutionary. And I, I wish that we could speak to people, you know, from that era and say, okay, what would, what would your reaction have been to something like this? And uh, how have they seen that, you know, in different permutations of that idea, that same idea in, I'm going to name check a couple of, uh, you know, these, these works that are probably like the most like famous of this particular idea, like things like the matrix or total recall. Right. So, uh, I, I can't put myself into the seat of the audience that this probably would have blown their minds, I think. It's still blowing my mind right now. And you can probably hear it in the way my, I'm delivering you know, my, my notes here for the podcast because I can't just wrap my brain around it as a concept for that time. It's very much of its time in terms of you know, what Gene is positing as the fantasies that people would indulge in the transporter. 
you know, he's talking about making and spending a million dollars. Okay, so are you talking about you're going to go into this thing, work a nine-to-five job, set the game parameters so that you're successful no matter what? Or are you going to go into this thing and unlike any characters who use a holodeck for this now that I could possibly think of, are you going to go into this thing and be Bonnie and Clyde? Are you going to steal a million dollars and no one can catch you? He leaves so much wide open there, it's kind of staggering. I think that Gene is is positing here is how someone's morality will be able to keep them in line you know, with this technology, whether they're going to use it for a very specific need or whether or not they're going to abuse it and pervert it as technology is wont to do in the wrong hands. So I'm glad that you brought up that example of Bonnie and Clyde because that is a fantasy that based on you know Gene's parameters of what the transporter device could do is no longer a fantasy. It becomes a reality because it is so perfectly reconstructed that you can live out basically your wildest dreams. So, and that's not really that far removed from kind of the, the debate that we're having about artificial intelligence now. There are things that are, there are technologies and algorithms and programs and code that are being developed where your... Your interaction, you know, with virtual reality simulators, you know that one day we're going to be able to breach the uncanny valley and the technology is going to be so honed and perfected that we won't be able to tell the difference. Even that one kernel of reasonable doubt will be overcome because the amount of stimuli is going to be so overwhelming that your mind won't be able to distinguish what is fantasy and what is real. How do you remove yourself from the fantasy? Again, as I mentioned before in observations, how would the transporter, once he actually tests his own technology, remove himself from the fantasy when he doesn't know where the line is blurred between reality and fantasy? Because that's where I think Gene really keeps this open-ended with not just the possibilities of creating something that's really interesting to watch, but also laying in the morals and meanings and messages groundwork of, if I don't want to leave, what's the harm in me staying? Because everything that I'm doing is in fantasy. So if I am having a immoral relationship, or if I'm a criminal, or if I'm doing good, or if I want to go into a fantasy genre, or if I want to go into a Western, or if I want to go into ancient Egypt, all of this is at your disposal. But when do you turn it off? Or can you turn it off? The dopamine levels of your brain become so addicted to the stimuli that you don't want to leave. So when your imagination can be indulged in every possible way, and paradise is literally at your fingertips, or your every whim can be executed at the speed of thought, why would you want to? And how do you do it? In a certain sense, you can kind of see that Gene's shaking his fist and telling the kids of the future to get off his lawn here. You know, this is, this transporter business, this is bad. Now, by comparison, I looked at the one-page description of the holodeck in the original 1987 version of the Writer's Bible for Star Trek The Next Generation. Because just like the concept of data emerged from the Quester tapes and found a new home in Gene's new Star Trek series, so did the transporter. The transporter became the holodeck. 
Now, I do want to acknowledge here many portions of the original Next Gen Writer's Bible came from memos and discussions with participants in the early development of the show. So Bob Justman, you know, famous memo writer, you can listen to the Trek Files for many examples of that. Dorothy Fontana, David Gerald. It's a misnomer to consider that document 100% genes, perhaps. But what is interesting is that in 1987, the notion of a techno-magical room that could generate any scenario you want is expressed in shades of awe and wonder. It's like, think of all the cool stuff you could do. Sometimes I feel like the holodeck peaked with the scene of Wesley showing Celia the singing asteroid belt. Because even with the limited effects they had in 89, that was that was amazing to me back then. Why would you do Dixon Hill? Why would you, you know, go fall off a rock in Griffith Park if you could go there? I mean, you know, you want to know what would keep me in the transporter? If I could stand safely on a moon of Jupiter or maybe set up a lawn chair and just watch the clouds rolling in the atmosphere in real time with no radiation hazard, it's not going to kill me. And never mind Marilyn Monroe, you would never get me out of that room. I would stay there very happily and just watch that for ages. But then how would you choose to leave? You know, I guess that's kind of like the big moral question there. And and even that, even though that gene didn't develop this show, I think that we can see you know, the potential of laying the groundwork for these kind of questions for the audience at the time. Because, of course, there are incredible positive applications for this kind of technology. Like you said, you can go to places that, one, you economically can't afford to get to at this time unless, you know, you, you know, want to pay a million dollars and go up on a rocket, experience space that way. Not everyone can do that. But, or, you know, see dinosaurs on an island, and I'll get to that later. But, if you can use the application to, say, take the family on vacation or to, again, go to places you know, from the past or extrapolate a, a possible future or live out a fantasy, all of, that is, all of that is available to you. But if it is so intoxicating and almost irresistible as, again, a type of drug then how do you break you free from that addiction? Because, you know, once that stimuli grabs a hold of your brain and starts changing your brain chemistry from not being able to discern fantasy and reality, that in and of itself is problematic. So it would have been interesting to see, like, how people would have dealt with that. And we've seen other movies and TV shows that, you know, address that situation. But again, for 1955, that would have been a concept that I think would have been just absolutely staggering to an audience. Now, I want to name check like another series. It's a deep space franchise series that, you know, is an offshoot of the series that Gene created. But in the episode from Deep Space Nine, It's Only a Paper Moon, this is probably one of the best examples of the holodeck technology maybe gone awry because Nog was using it to escape his reality, the pain of losing his leg and the suffering that he is, uh, that, that he has put himself through serving Starfleet. And he just wants to live a pain-free and consequence-free existence in Vic Fontaine's program. Why is that so wrong? Why is that a bad thing? And why was he convinced that 
leaving that simulation was better for him. Again, that, I'm not, I don't want anyone to answer this question now, certainly not us, but much like Christopher Pike and Vina in the cage, look at what he was able to leave behind his broken body from the menagerie, you know, and live a perfect fantasy, albeit, you know, obviously reconstructed fantasy of what the Telosians believe was his perfect life for eternity, never growing old, never getting sick. Why is that so bad? Well, Norm, I'm still trying to come up with an answer to the question you asked in the previous segment. I, I don't have the answer, and I think that's okay. I think it's okay for us to drop these questions on our audience, on our listeners, and let their minds be blown as much as ours have. But this is the part of the show where we ask ourselves, you know, are there morals, messages, and meanings? Well, this is kind of a special pleading in this instance because... It's two paragraphs of the material. But man, these are two great paragraphs. What are your thoughts? I think if we had to extrapolate what we know of Gene, there would have been morals, meanings, and messages. Because I think that the question that he poses in the two paragraphs of the pitch, or at least the scenario that he poses, it just lends itself to what would happen if this technology was left in the hands of human individuals, which direction would it go? Obviously it would go in one of several directions, just based on the person who would be using the technology. And it opens up something that is being discussed right now in real time. If technology moves so quickly, are we ready for all the different ways that is going to mutate in the hands of the public and people that can take this open source of either code or you know hardware etc what are you going to do with it i don't think we have an answer to that because we're still finding out in real time we have uncorked the bottle and let the ai genie out you know there are now questions about is it going to create art of course some of us are still stuck on the question why are you letting ai create art i thought ai was going to handle the menial tasks so we could all explore art but Evidently, that's not going to happen. So who's to say we don't really have an answer in the here and now about the implications of this? Now, the sheer scope of Gene's imagination here is breathtaking, even if it's couched in surprisingly dystopian terms. This is, for two paragraphs, he goes into some pretty dark places pretty quickly. And that's kind of surprising because we are accustomed to later era Roddenberry, you know, probably from the 70s forward, who has come up with this much more optimistic vision of the future that we associate with Star Trek. And it's important to remind people that didn't necessarily emerge fully formed in the 60s. That kind of resulted from the 70s and the college speaking tours and the honing of that message that he was delivering directly to audiences without a script without actors, without sets. I am glad that he later began to see the potential for the holodeck or the transporter or the animated series Rec Room as a place for imagination to take flight, not the least of which was his own imagination. Now, here is a question that reaches forward, and this is for both you, Norm, and the audience yourself. 
Does the holodeck need mm-hmm. some image reform? Let's take the example of a certain starship captain, renowned for his liaisons with the ladies, even though once people stopped talking about that and actually did the math, they found out that there perhaps weren't quite as many of those liaisons as there were in the public perception. Even though it's baked into the cake in the story pitch of the transporter, I wonder if a similar reassessment isn't overdue for the holodeck, formerly known as the transporter, because everyone kinds of winks and nudges, say no more, that the holodeck is all about laying Marilyn Monroe. There is a current Star Trek spinoff, and admittedly it is doing this for comedic effect, where cleaning the holodeck filters is the most disgusting task imaginable on that ship. Maybe it's time that this concept of genes, despite what he chose to close on in his 1955 story pitch, Maybe it's time the holodeck got the same reassessment that the aforementioned starship captain has gotten of late. Because whether you call it the transporter or the holodeck or any other medium of entertainment, what you take into it is what you are going to get out of it. Because some days, non-existent purring kittens sound like a really good idea. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good point that you're making about... Where kind of like the holodeck technology has developed over time and where it's come and landed on, like right now in in, in modern, the modern understanding of what's being used for. And uh, certainly probably not in the in the spirit of why it was created in the first place and certainly not why the the transporter was created in the first place. Because I think, you know, when Gene was coming up with that, I I mean, this is just, again, um, supposition on my part, but. When Gene created this idea, I think he wanted to explore the depths of humanity and where it would go with this technology, like allowing humankind to develop in one way or the other based on either their uh, acceptance and and embrace of this technology or the perversion and the abuse thereof. So, yes, I think there needs to be almost kind of like a a morality filter – plugged in so that I know that there are safety protocols and we can go you know to the nth degree with you know teching the tech about the, the holodeck but I think the point is when you put something in someone's hands and when they're not ready for it what happens much like AI and chat GPT right now right and the way that that's developing because it's developing so quickly people are getting their hands on it and doing nefarious things with what was supposed to, like you said, Earl, help us, help humanity move past the mundane day-to-day tasks and actually enjoy our lifestyles because certain things have been just been written out, you know, because of the, the cumbersomeness of daily routines like processing spreadsheets or crunching numbers, etc. you know, creating graphs and creating, you know, proposals, things that can be done very quickly based on the technology. But that's not where the technology is going. It's going in a completely perverse direction. I'm going to quote something that's it's one of my favorite quotes of all time from Jurassic Park. And this is you know, Jeff Goldblum's Ian Malcolm. And he said this in the conference room about what was happening to the development of the dinosaur DNA. And he said, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Now, just supplement scientists with programmers or coders, you know, or hardware developers. It's the same thing. Just because we can do a thing, should we do it? And if we should do it, is humanity ready for it? Because then you extrapolate Gene's idea with the transporter to other things that we've mentioned before, like The Matrix or Ready Player One, you know, movies that embrace this virtual reality technology gone amok. 
if the storytellers today are using that as a cautionary tale now, just think what Gene Roddenberry could have done when this type of narrative wasn't as ubiquitous then in the 1950s. Because humanity overall has always craved escape, escapism. We know this, right? You know, we love movies, we love books, you know, we love music, et cetera, et cetera. But when you have the opportunity to visit the past or the future, to debate with Socrates, right? Or play chess against Bobby Fischer or discover penicillin or whatever your imagination desires that can be programmed into the transporter or the holodeck or etc. I mean, just think what the possibilities are. But then again, just think what the possibilities are. I mean, you see what I'm saying, Earl? This raises so many questions, as you said, and more than I think we can possibly answer in the scope of this podcast. One question I had early on, and I think I may have just hit on the answer, was why this story did not sell to science fiction theater. And I think it's because it's a concept. It's a really interesting concept. It's a fascinating concept. There is no character attached to it. Gene talks about the inventor of the transporter. We don't know who that is. We don't know what this person believes. We don't know what the people around him, what their reactions to the invention of the transporter would be. And so without that arc in place, there's really no story. You have a concept. And that could be why this didn't sell. However, here is, you know, let's really step off into the what-if area. What if this had been its own series pitch instead of... Instead of Gene pitching this to science fiction theater, you know, what if he goes to Frederick Ziv and says, I have this idea for a whole series? You think there's enough meat here? Wow, that's a great question. I think that that's one of the great things about going back into these scripts and finding these just incredible surprises because it's it's really hard to say. I mean, again, scripts of the time or productions or shows, I mean, they were really kind of crafted and and produced to do one very specific thing and that's to sell product right how are you going to sell cigarettes or laundry detergent or alcohol or automobiles you know or you know cookware in between commercial spots when this show is on you know in this show or whatever the the networks believed would be the 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 palatable product that would you know, that would pair well, you know, with a science fiction drama of this kind. I mean, that's that's really kind of, you know, part of the part of the formula, whether or not this thing would have been picked up, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you know, one really wonders if it wouldn't have been just a precursor to the reaction from NBC to the cage when they were shown it as a potential pilot. Like this is, you know, this this is all happening in someone's head. You know, people are not going to watch this. But in some alternate universe where it did sell as its own series, is Gene still doing TV in 1966? Does he still create Star Trek? Or is he producing and writing movies by then? Does Star Trek still happen in a world where the transporter actually got to run for a season or two? It depends on if Gene had the stick to itness to stay with one series or not, because it felt like, and, and you know, you, you made a really good point of this with Mr. District Attorney, you know, he was creating this idea in between 
his scripts five and six. So if he's doing it because he has an itch to scratch, then, and this is after only six, five or six scripts, then if he's looking at the barrel or down the barrel of an entire series or season, is he going to have another itch to scratch that detracts him from the quality of writing that he would have put in to a complete season in order to develop something that was more interesting to him midway through the first season or midway through the second season of The Transporter if it came to be. That's true, but The Transporter, you know, and I mentioned another show earlier that had this working for it, but unfortunately it was not exploited by the people who took up the production of that show. The Transporter could be a Western one week. It could be a Sandals and Swords ancient Greek drama the week after that. It could be Hard-Boiled Detective the week after that. This show could have been anything, everything, every week. It's amazing that this is what was going on in Gene's head in between coming up with cop shows. He was thinking of stuff like this. He was already thinking of stuff like this. That's amazing to me. I mean, it is amazing, and I think it's unfortunate that we never saw... And and what I believed, you know, could have been something that was very groundbreaking at the time. And knowing what we know now of Gene's writing sensibilities, the ability to be able to finally start piping in like his cautionary tales and consequences in morals, meetings and messages of the limitless ability to indulge oneself with this technology, that I think would have been really just fascinating and and probably disturbing to the audience at the time. I and mean, when you really think about it, that wasn't kind of the the narrative tone for TV. But you never know. This could have revolutionized the audience of the time. I mean, in, in very much the same way this idea has been developed and and to some degree maybe this is where the transporter would have led us if it actually came to be two series like a black mirror where they focus specifically on technologies like this, where they become just this ubiquitous product in the hands of people that would use them for very specific purposes, whether benign or perverse, that is up to humanity. That is in the DNA, baked into the pitch of the two paragraphs that we wrote. So, but then again, like when you really look at it, all technology, regardless of their benefits, you know, or their uh or or the ways that are manipulated in the hands of the people that can do that it doesn't take away that technology itself it just is what you choose to do with it is what you choose to do with it based on your own human morals meanings or uh or appetites remember at one time gunpowder was simply just a side effect of ancient chinese alchemists searching for a life prolonging medicine until the technology was perfected and it fell into the wrong hands. Whose hands were the right hands? Once the genie is out of the bottle, once the technology is going in a specific direction, can you stop it? Because you remember famously, at one time, the home video format wars, the, the, uh, you know, the decision between was VHS going to come out on top or was Betamax going to come out on top, that was decided by one of the basest forms of entertainment you can imagine, it was which format the adult film industry adopted. And that is what decided who won that particular battle for dominance in that sector of technology. 
we we've seen it before and it will probably happen again that those urges will continue to be the drivers of technology once it is known that the technology can do a certain thing Mission Log Genealogy is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you would like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. If you have any material that might be of interest to us that isn't already in the Roddenberry archive, drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. On the next genealogy, a quick jump forward in time to Gene's first produced science fiction script, The Secret Defense of 117. Special thanks to consulting producers Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, Tom Kozak, Julie Miller, Mike Richards, Mike Shabel, Paul Shadwell, and David Takechi. This is a Roddenberry Podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes... Only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 